the national mood reached a turning point. The McCarthyite rage, confronted by a Republican president, burned itself out. The senator from Wisconsin isolated himself, was censured, and deflated. Finally, in 1957, the launching of the Sputnik by the Soviets precipitated one of those periodic surges of self-conscious national reappraisal to which the American public is prone. The Sputnik was more than a shock to American national vanity— It brought an immense amount of attention to bear on the consequences of anti-intellectualism in the school system and in American life at large. Suddenly the national distaste for intellect appeared to be not just a disgrace, but a hazard to survival. After assuming for some years that its main concern with teachers was to examine them for disloyalty, the nation now began to worry about their low salaries— Scientists, who had been saying for years that the growing obsession with security was demoralizing to research, suddenly found receptive listeners. Cries of protest against the slackness of American education, hitherto raised only by a small number of educational critics, were now taken up by television, mass magazines, businessmen, scientists, politicians, admirals, and university presidents, and soon swelled into a national chorus of self-reproach. Of course, All this did not immediately cause the vigilante mind to disappear, nor did it disperse anti-intellectualism as a force in American life, even in the sphere most immediately affected, that of education. The ruling passion of the public seemed to be for producing more Sputniks, not for developing more intellect. And some of the new rhetoric about education almost suggested that gifted children were to be regarded as resources in the Cold War but the atmosphere did change, notably. In 1952, only intellectuals seemed much disturbed by the specter of anti-intellectualism. By 1958, the idea that this might be an important and even a dangerous national failing was persuasive to most thinking people. Today, it is possible to look at the political culture of the 1950s with some detachment. If there was then a tendency to see in McCarthyism and even in the Eisenhower administration, some apocalypse for intellectuals and public life, it is no longer possible, now that Washington has again become so hospitable to Harvard professors and ex-Rhodes scholars. If there was a suspicion that intellect had become a hopeless obstacle to success in politics or administration, it must surely have been put to rest by the new president's obvious interest in ideas and respect for intellectuals, his ceremonial gestures to make that respect manifest in affairs of state, his pleasure in the company and advice of men of intellectual power, and above all, by the long, careful search for distinguished talents with which his administration began. On the other hand, if there had ever been an excessive confidence that the recruitment of such talents would altogether transform the conduct of our affairs, time has surely brought its inevitable disenchantment. We have now reached a point at which intellectuals can discuss anti-intellectualism without exaggerated partisanship or self-pity. 2. The political ferment and educational controversy of the 1950s made the term anti-intellectual a central epithet in American self-evaluation. It has slipped unobtrusively into our usage without much definition, and is commonly used to describe a variety of unwelcome phenomena. Those who have suddenly become aware of it often assume that anti-intellectualism is a new force in this or that area of life, and that being a product of recent conditions, 
it may be expected to grow to overwhelming proportions. American intellectuals have a lamentably thin sense of history, and modern man has lived so long under the shadow of some kind of apocalypse or other that intellectuals have come to look upon even the lesser eddies of social change as though they were tidal waves. But to students of Americana, the anti-intellectual note so commonly struck during the 1950s sounded not new at all, but rather familiar. Anti-intellectualism was not manifested in this country for the first time during the 1950s. Our anti-intellectualism is, in fact, older than our national identity and has a long historical background. An examination of this background suggests that regard for intellectuals in the United States has not moved steadily downward and has not gone into a sudden recent decline, but is subject to cyclical fluctuations. It suggests, too, that the resentment from which the intellectual has suffered...